Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us to respond to your love and faith and worship together as a community. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to preach your word and truth, word and truth, and that it would accomplish what it was sent forth to do. In Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. G.K. Chesterton said, how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. it. Selfishness is a problem we are always warring warring against, either in ourselves or with others. One tactic that we use is we try try to avoid selfish people, only to realize that we can't avoid ourselves. A second tactic that we use is we take inventory, inventory of what we're doing, especially when we compare ourselves to others, those other selfish people. But even in then, we are being selfish. We're like the person who prayed, Dear God, so far today, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been, gr- haven't been gr- nasty or selfish. And I'm really glad about that. But in, a few, but in a few minutes, I'm about to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I probably am going to need a lot of help. Thanks and amen. Earlier in the same chapter of our passage this morning, Paul tells us to be mindful of this. In the first five verses of chapter 2, he talks about, about our mindfulness three times. Be of the same mind, be of one mind, be of like mind. Am I minded, that is, that I consider myself more significant than others? Or am I Christ-minded, I consider others more significant than myself? And he goes on to use Jesus as, as the example of humility and selflessness. Jesus was the one who poured himself out. He emptied himself of his glory and his majesty and took on the form of a servant. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. death. And even the death itself wasn't honorable. Unfair. It was shameful. You might be saying, Jack, that's inspiring, but I'm not, I'm not Jesus. And even if I want to be like him, sometimes I find it really difficult to bridge that gap between what Jesus has done and how that looks in my life, right here, right now, to now, today, with all of my problems. And I think Paul knows this, because in verses 19 through 30, which was our text this morning, he goes on to address this by giving a travel itinerary. Why would Paul give a travel itinerary itinerary in the middle of his letter? This is usually reserved for the end. It's actually caused some people to think that Philippians is really a combination of two or three letters. But that's not what's happening here. Paul's smarter than He does something rather remarkable. He uses a travel itinerary as an object lesson to give two real-life examples of Christ-mindedness. 
to truly care, truly care others' welfare, to have proven character, and to risk one's own welfare in loving and serving others. You see, the best travel itineraries are people who point us to Christ. Therefore, if you want to wage war against selfishness in your life, in your life one really helpful way is to be thankful for Christ-minded friends and how they've been an example in your life and to be mindful of how you can model their love for you to others in your life. So let's look at the two individuals. First, Paul references Timothy. Now, Timothy had been working with Paul for over 10 years by this point. He's mentioned at the beginning of the letter and he was at the founding of this church at Philippi. And while Paul was awaiting the outcome of his trial in Rome under house arrest, he said to the Christians at Philippi, I hope to send Timothy to you. And for the purpose of rejoicing and hearing about the news about them. Even in prison, Paul was thinking of others. But then he goes on to commend Timothy. He goes out of his way. He says that Timothy is the ideal person to send because he genuinely cares about your welfare, your well-being. This is found in verses 20 and 21. This is contrast those who only care about their own interests. And note how this goes back to verse 4 when Paul talks about let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. Timothy genuinely cared. A commentator noting on the juxtaposition of these two words said, there are many people who sincerely don't care. And there are many people who insincerely care. But there are few who sincerely care. Christ-minded friends have no contamination of ulterior motive, uh, motives that would benefit themselves. In verse 20, when Paul says, for I have no one like him, this could be translated literally, I have no one of the same soul. Christ-minded, genuine care isn't just interested in the information or, fact or facts lives. They join in the emotional journey. If you ache, they ache with you. If you joy, they rejoice for you. A dear friend of mine recently went through his second brain surgery to remove a tumor. What they thought was removed the first time grew back. Only this time, to remove the tumor meant the loss of hearing in his right ear. Leading up to, up to the surgery, I was texting him, letting him know that I was praying for him. He had the surgery, and that particular week, I had a very, very difficult week. And a few days after his surgery, he attempted to call me. And I was thinking to let me know how everything was, everything was going. And I had such a horrible week, I was selfish, and I chose not to pick up the phone. I didn't want to be a burden to him. But I was really cut to the heart days later when we finally connected because my friend was not only eager to tell me how he was doing, 
He went on to tell me that while he was being prepared for his surgery, I was on his mind and praying for me. That's Christ-minded, genuine care. Be thankful for Christ, my friends, who genuinely care for you and your spiritual well-being. Be mindful of them and love others as they have loved you. Timothy is also an ideal person because he has proven, proven. We see this in verse 22. Paul says, but you know, know Timothy proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Notice how this connects right with uh, uh, the example of Christ in, in verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself in the form of a servant. Jesus had nothing to prove, but he took the form of a servant. Proven character is produced by testing. This is why people who have proven character, their words, words carry much more weight when they speak to us, especially when they're offering hope. Romans 5, verses 3 and 4 says, Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Christ-minded friends don't avoid adversity. They grow from it. One of my favorite movies is uh, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. For those of you who have seen, who have seen it, you remember this. There is a great warrior, Aragorn, who is very skilled, he's fearless, he's wise, and he's selfless. And he is trying to prepare 1,008 men to have an insurmountable battle against 10,000 orcs, gullen, hideous-like creatures, who are due to arrive by nightfall. And in this one particular scene, he's sitting on the steps, and he's frustrated. He's trying to collect himself. And off to the side, side is a young boy who's standing there with his sword, who's clearly ill-equipped and untrained. And he calls up to him and says, give me your sword. And the boy walks over to him, and as he gives him his sword, he says, what is your name? And the boy tells him. And then the boy tells him with absolute terror in his eyes, the men say we will not last, not last. They say it is hopeless. Aragorn stands to his feet. He looks at the, sit the sword, does a few cool ninja tricks with it, and he gives it back to the boy and he says, this is a good sword. And then he does something that only someone with proven character can do. He leans over and he looks at the young boy in his eye. Boy in his eye. He puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, these four simple words, there is always hope. Proven character does not offer cheap hope. It doesn't need many words because character speaks for itself. Be thankful for the people in your life, Christ-minded friends who have proven character. And be like-minded. Don't run from adversity but let it produce character in you so that you too can offer hope to others. 
The best travel itineraries are people who point you to Christ because they genuinely care about you and they have proven character, character, serve and love you. But there's a third example that Paul gives, and that is the second person he introduces to us, to us in verse 25-30, and that is Epaphroditus. He's only mentioned here and in chapter 4, verse 18. He is the messenger that the church at Philippi had sent to Paul with gifts, probably financial, financial, help him while he was in prison. Nothing more is mentioned about him in the Bible. And Paul, Paul quickly refers to him as a brother, a fellow worker, and a fellow soldier. All terms that identify that he is very dear to Paul. And it is Epaphroditus who is actually going to be sent back to Philippi to deliver, to deliver the... So what then is it about Epaphroditus that makes him such a personal example of Christ-mindedness? Well, verse 27... Paul says that Epaphroditus nearly died. I'm sorry, in verse 30, that Epaphroditus nearly died for the work of Christ, risking to complete what was lacking in their service to him. That is to say that they couldn't be there in, in person, so they sent someone who would represent the church. You see, at some point during his trek, which would have been about 700 miles and could have taken three months. Or perhaps when he got to Rome, Epaphroditus fell ill, ill, so bad that he nearly died. And the news got back to the church at Philippi. And when he found out about this, Epaphroditus was distressed. But this wasn't a mild case of anxiety. The word translated distressed here is only used in one other instance in the New Testament. And it's when Jesus was in Gethsemane. Why was Epaphroditus so distressed? Some think that perhaps he was afraid he would not recover, and he, and he missed his family's friends and didn't know if he would see them again. That's genuine care. Some think that he was concerned that the Christians at Philippi would think that he was a burden to Paul. He was failing in his mission to be of help to, be of help to him by being a burden. But Paul very quickly dismisses any misunderstanding when he said, God had mercy on him, and he was healed. This was not a failure. He wasn't suffering some kind of judgment for some hidden sin. And that was a blessing to me, Paul says. Regardless of whatever the Philippians were thinking, Paul wants to make something abundantly clear about Epaphroditus. He risked his life to do what God had sent him to do. And the Philippians should honor him upon his return. The word risk here is a gambling term. It was used back in those times for gambling and the rolling of dice. Di Epaphroditus gambled his life, his very welfare, to do what God called him to do. And notice how this points back to the example of Christ in verse 8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, Christ-minded risk doesn't have to result in death or even near death. Near death. It can be as simple as not trying to avoid setbacks when we love others. It assumes the risk when we love people, they might take us for granted. 
Isn't that like God's love? He risks every day that we, that we might take his mercy and his grace for granted. My wife and I shared one car, one car, 15 years. The brunt of this inconvenience fell on her, and particularly, particularly as we had children. If she wanted to go to the supermarket or the library, she had to take the kids with her and walk or ride her bicycle. If she, she needed the car for a day, she'd have to get the kids. We would all travel together 45 minutes minimum to where I worked. She would drop me, she would drop me at home, and then she'd have to come back out and pick me up at the end of the day. I have a very dear friend, dear friend saw what was happening, and he said, Jack, can I come pick you up on Thursday mornings and, and take you to work? He lived 20 minutes from our home, and he drove me, again, a minimum of 45 minutes away just to wait so Jen could have the car one day out of the week. He did this every week for nearly two years. And yes, he came back to pick me up at the end of the day, and no, he often did and did not have a reason to go to the side of town. He used that time to disciple me and to tell me that I needed to find a way to get a second car. <laughs> Be thankful for Christ-minded friends who risk their own welfare to love you. And be like-minded. Gamble on loving others. The best travel, travel itineraries are people who point you to Christ. Just Jesus came to the world as a, in the form of a servant. He left, saying that those who follow him and obey his commandments are his friends. Who are the friends, the Christ-minded friends that God, that Christ has given to you? Are you thankful for them? One of the core values of our church is emotional health. It is growing in, in uh, emotional health and seeking transformation in community. If you say, Jack, I don't have Christ-minded friends who I really feel like genuinely care about me, who risk their welfare to welfare to love, who have proven care, I would encourage you Find community. Find a way to get involved with people here at Grace Anglican. God will put someone like that in your life. But I also want to close with this question as we close in prayer. Who might God be putting on your heart? If you've had that example in your life, who might God, who might God be on your heart to genuinely care about? To have proven, proven character in and to risk your own welfare in loving them. We're going to have about 30 seconds of silence, and then I will close us in prayer. Please join me. Father, thank you that you bridge the gap between what we know of Christ, what we know of ourselves, by the examples of people you've placed in our life. 
have been Christ to us. People who genuinely care about us, people who have proven care, people who risk their lives, their welfare in loving us and serving us. Lord, help be thankful for them. Help us to be mindful of them as we observe the people that you've put in our path. Lord, help us to be a travel itinerary to someone, pointing them to Christ. For your, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand.